Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This podcast is all about discussing the uncomfortable truths of race to empower a more empathetic New Zealand. Every episode will talk about race, diversity and everything in between. You'll also hear stories from Kiwis all around the country who come from different walks of life. So this episode, I'm so, so excited to um, introduce Rachel. She's my friend and she's awesome and she does lots of different things in life. So I'll let her introduce herself. Hello. Um, yes, I'm Rachel. Um, yeah, I guess I do lots of interesting things. Um, I This year I started up the Otago Asian Law Students Association, Woo-hoo! so that's new. Also, um, yeah, questionable um, acronym ULSA, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> it happened. I didn't think about it at the time, but that's what it is. Um, and I'm also involved in a little, a tiny, tiny bit of the environmental sphere. So like I just sort of um, sometimes do like the photography for like uh, 350 or 2.40 events and sometimes Extinction Rebellion events. But that's sort of like a new thing I'm foraying into. I'm very much more like comfortable just doing like my own personal environmentalism and then like working in like, I guess, like sort of the Asian sphere to try and increase the uh, Asian voices, especially young Asian voices in Dunedin. That's so, so important. And then also, Rachel, what's your <clears throat> heritage background? Um, so I'm three quarters Chinese, um, and I'm just going to go into how that occurs because mm. people always ask. So yeah, my, that's a very interesting yeah, ratio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone like asked me, they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. And they were like, no, you're not. Like, I think you've got the calculations wrong. And I was like, no, no, no like... <laughs> Pretty sure, like, I've thought about this my whole life. Um, So my mum's full Chinese and my dad's half Chinese, um, but they were both born here and dad's mum was born here um, and dad's dad is Pākehā. Um, And then mum's mum came over in 1937 um, like a war refugee and then mum's dad, who's passed away now, came over here when he was 18 to go to university, but that didn't end up happening. Um... Yeah, for various reasons. Mm. He just sort of got um, tricked. Tricked? Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, my mum's parents' stories are really interesting. So um, my granddad, my gong gong, so my maternal grandfather came over here when he was 18 to study university because mm. he had an auntie over here. Um, but, like, she basically didn't let him. She, like, took the money, like, didn't let him go to university and, like, forced him to work in the fruit shop. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, That's terrifying. Um, yeah, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. And then mum's mum came over here when she was like two because um, you know how the Japanese invaded China? That's um, something that's World not II? discussed a lot, eh? Yeah, but yes, yeah. I have been so told like, about it. There's yeah. like a, a historically like a tension between Chinese and Japanese like going all the way back um, over Manchuria, so a very mm-hmm. resource-rich area. Um, and so that story has just sort of gotten combined with World War Two, but basically, and most people have heard of the rape of Nanking. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So prior to that, they sort of pillaged 
uh, the Japanese army sort of like pillaged through various other villages and so they were on the way to my grandma's village mm-hmm. when they all had to sort of like pack up and then sort of traipse through China to get to the harbour to get on a boat to come here. So that's how oh, she ended up wow. here. Yeah. Wow, so I didn't yeah. realise how many generations of your family has actually been here in New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, like, I think these are only stories that I discovered when I was 16-ish, um, just because I'd been, like, growing up, like, quite disconnected from the fact that I actually was Chinese. Like, I grew mm-hmm. up in a very, um, like, a very Pakeha environment, and I suppose, in a, like... I, I, there's no really other way to put it, but I grew up in a very white environment, and I suppose through that I was whitewashed. Like I went to schools where, like, diversity was very much just like a catchphrase or like a tokenistic thing. Like there wasn't any like proper recognition. Like yeah, there'd be like Chinese language week throughout like the year, but like because it hadn't been important to me at that point. Like I yeah, the Asian, the Chinese part of me was very much repressed. Mm. Um. So, yeah. But, yeah, I guess hearing my family's stories and stuff. Like, I only heard about my grandma's story in year 12 when I had to do, like, this, like, NCA, like, level two, like, scrapbook thing on, like, my family. So, like, that's the point at which I began to, like, sort of ask questions and, like, delve into my family history. But even then, there was still sort of, like, a massive disconnect from it. I sort of just heard the stories and I was like, oh, like, yeah, wow, like, what a journey. Like, that's pretty... Like, it just, it still didn't, like, click, like, this is, like, where you come from, like, this is Mm. your family, this is your, this is part of your tapestry, like, this is part of your history, it still didn't click. I don't think it really clicked until, like, yeah, a couple of years ago. I completely understand it, because I think when I was growing up as well, um, I just didn't really know a lot about my external family at all. I'm not too sure why we didn't have those conversations, um, because my parents are very adamant that we should know our culture, yeah. but we just never really discussed my family, and I remember when I first started hearing stories, and it was also through a school project yeah. as well, I was like, oh, that's really cool, but I didn't feel that connection, like these were my people, and yeah. then once it hit me, it was like, oh my God, it felt almost spiritual, it was like, this is... This is where I come from. Yeah. These people, that, that's also me as well. It's yeah. quite, when that moment happens, it's really big. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, sort of like an emotional thing as well. And it just makes you sort of, and like, I guess like it just makes you sort of wonder like what, why living in the society that we do have, have we sort of like come to like repress this side of ourselves? Like what is it in our society that sort of like, what was it in my upbringing that made me sort of see my Chinese sides? Like, it's a massive part of me. Like, like I am outwardly looking, like, quite Chinese. Like, you can tell that I have, um, like, European blood, but, like, I am Chinese. But, like, what was it in society that made me suppress or, like, repress that mm. part of myself for so long? So it's been a very emotional and interesting journey, I guess, sort of in my 20s exploring how that came to be Mm. yeah yeah for me as well also similar um sentiments I think when I was growing up I just thought being you know black or whatever was just different and different was bad yeah I wanted to stay away from that as much as possible 100 you want to stay away from it and all the stereotypes associated with it and you somehow want to prove that like you're the different one like you're not like all the other ones like you can assimilate into this white culture or you can be like all the other um, like for me, I think the pressure was great because I went to a white private girls' school as well. Like, oh. so it was like very. There was a lot of pressure to 
be a certain appearance. Like, it was, like, I don't know. And, like, being a female, like, sucks. But, like, uh, there's, like, a lot of appearance-based pressures that you feel. So, like, being Chinese is, like, yet another thing that I had to sort of, like, surmount to fit in, which is all I wanted to do. Like, growing up, all I wanted to do was, like, fit in. Like, I never wanted to be Chinese. Like, it was never a good thing for me. Like, it was always a part of myself that, like, I was like, okay, like... Yes, how inconvenient, like, yeah, but like, I'm not, I'm not Chinese on the inside, like just on the outside. Um, Mm. Like that whole like concept of like a banana. Have you heard of that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. That I was like, yeah, like not like, and then like all my friends used to be like, oh, like we don't even think of you as Chinese. Like we just, we just think, we don't even realize you're Chinese. And like for me, like back then that was like a compliment, but now I realize how like, uh, like yikes that is yeah yeah now that I yeah when I think like I'm gratefully at a better place now with my identity and stuff but just yeah thinking about how I used to think oh so embarrassing like there were Somali girls um I would see around and they were just unashamedly be yeah. very Somali and very loud and proud about it and I was like I used to be embarrassed I'm like oh my yeah. god why are they like that yeah like, oh. yeah because it's just yeah it's it's interesting how um, being born of colour or of a different race into a predominantly European society, like, gives you, like, a different, like, viewpoint to people who are born, like, in their own country and then move here later. Like, mm-hmm. it's just two very different, like, you walk a different space. It is, yeah, really, really different. Because, like, yeah, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of Somali people who came here when they were really young like a lot of people had already spent x amount of years in somalia and then came over yeah. but the thing is i've never been to somalia oh before. my gosh me too i've never been to china either like i was i wasn't born in new zealand but i don't really have any connections to yemen either it's just yeah yeah it's weird hey because then you're sort of like well i suppose i don't really this this is my home but it isn't my my roots aren't here mm. but then it's a really interesting concept like I went to like this workshop lately run by Alice Canton if you've heard of her no um, I haven't but who is she she is this super cool like half Chinese half Pakeha like theatre artist comedian oh, um, cool. she's actually in Dunedin um, is she the one who's running that thing where she's calling for um, yes. yeah. Chinese yes. like, so people in Dunedin? So she's making a documentary mm. called Other at the moment about what it means to be Chinese in New Zealand. Um, but I went to one of her workshops up in Auckland. I'm going to another one down here because I love them. <laughs> um, and like she asked a series of questions, and one of the questions was who has like never who was born in New Zealand, and then like half the room like went to the born in New Zealand spot the other half went to the born in overseas other spot and then of our group she was like who's been to China and everyone shifted apart from me I was the only person in the room like of random people like we didn't know each other who hadn't been to China and that sort of like hit me and like it's been sort of like something that I've been yearning to do for a while now there's just sort of been this oh like must go to China need to reconnect type thing but yeah I think when and like I'm definitely ready now but there hasn't been an opportunity that's arisen for me that in in a context where I'm like this is how I want to go to China for my Mm -hmm. first time because I know that it will be like a very special thing for me 
um, a shock, but also quite special. Mm. Do you have family there? Um, oh, like, if you went there, would you have people that you could call I, family I think and see? so. I think so. Yeah. But, and then this is another barrier, is that when I was little, Cantonese was my first language, right? So, like, I didn't... My mum, like, spoke to us all in Cantonese when we were born, and it, we, she just left English learning to, like, when we went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, obviously because you just want to be the same when you're little, you just start speaking English all the time. And me and my sister would have, like, secret English conversations in our bedroom at night, and then eventually those English conversations, like, out of the bedroom with mum, and then the Cantonese just sort of died away so much to the point now that, like, I just can't remember any Cantonese, which is really, like, sad for me. Like, it's just friggin' sad. Like, I just feel sad Mm. about it. Um, So the... And it was Pigeon Cantonese to begin with anyway because it had sort of changed because of the generations that we've been in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I just wouldn't be able to communicate with them if I went back to China and they wouldn't be able to communicate with me. And I think that I would sort of pick it up again. Like, I remember stuff. Like, every time I hear a bit of Cantonese, it sort of triggers, like, this really distant, like, memory in my mm. head. So I think if I spent enough time in, like, Hong Kong or something, I'd pick it up again. But... I think there'd be a real difficulty with me knowing how to connect with any family that I had over there. Because it definitely, like, it exists. My family over there exists. But, like, at the moment, it's just sort of this distant concept. Like, it hasn't sort of materialised or, like, been made concrete just because I've never been there or seen them. But, Mm. yeah, it'll be really interesting when I do eventually make it over there and, like, Again, like, this is, like, would I even want to connect with that family there? Because I don't know whether I'd be doing that. Like, I don't know whether it would be a trip for myself if I did that or just something that I would feel obligated to do. Mm. And it's, yeah, again, it's really interesting sort of, yeah, 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 something, another thing to work Mm. through and, like, sort of figure out, I guess. I think, yeah. It would be really nice to for both of us to go back to our home countries. I think so. I think, I think so. That would be like the final piece in the puzzle that would just make everything yeah. kind of make sense. Yeah, I think so. Because, like, yeah. I mean, aside from, like, Southeast Asia, like, the tourist countries, like Thailand and stuff like that, I've never been to, like, an Asian country before. So I've never even been, like, I've never been in a place where, like, there has, where Chinese has been the majority Mm. Which is weird. Oh, I can't wait for that moment. Um, I can't wait for that for journey. You either. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. When I because also like language is a really interesting thing as well. Because I have eight siblings, and so I'm the oldest in my family. Oh my gosh, yeah, and you can see the dilution effect oh within gosh, our siblings. Like yes. my younger siblings just don't understand us Somali at all. Yeah, and sometimes I have to act as a translator between like my mum and wow, my siblings because so my mum is a lot more comfortable speaking Af Somali at home. Yeah. So it's so funny because we'll speak English to her, yeah. and then she'll reply back to us. In I've Af heard Somali. so many stories <laughs> like that. Um, I have like a couple of friends. Um, one that I made in high school, she's half Japanese, and then a friend that I made at uni through actually the Otago Asian Law Students Association. Um, she's Taiwanese, and her like their parents won't respond to them unless they speak in like Japanese or like Mandarin, respectively. 
Oh, yeah, my parents tried to be strict about that. And they're like, Somali only, which is so funny because <laughs> for such a while it was English only because they were so worried yeah. we'd be left behind in school. Yeah. Like when we first got here because I didn't know any English at all yeah. um, when I first got here, which is weird to me to think that English was just not in my vocabulary at all. And that's how like I dream and think I know. in English now. But, I know. It's um, weird, eh? Yeah, they just didn't want um, us to speak Afsvali at all and then now it's like the opposite and it's weird to think that like um, like once my siblings and I start having kids like how our kids going to be speaking well, Afsvali I'm sad I really could, want them to yeah. but it's just like thinking about it now it like could die out yeah so that's why I'm sort of like oh my gosh girl like get your A into G like get that language mm. like sus like so that if you like choose to like have children I don't even know if I want children but like if you choose to have children like they can speak the languages well, or at least like you can just keep some semblance of your culture alive even like just a tiny bit because oh man it's just so important and like even just a bit basic things like knowing what how to say the food Mm. Like and like food is such an important part of culture too. But like you've got to know the language to know the food, if that makes sense yep. in a way. Like you can know the food, but like you won't really know the food unless you know what it's called. Mm. Mm, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. The language yeah. thing is really tough. Yeah, and I found that from other um, Somali people who are like my age as well, growing up, because I um, didn't really want to speak up Somali in front of them because I had it accent when I was speaking it they wouldn't consider me a true Somali yeah and so it's just a stuck in between places yeah so, yeah so it's weird. real interesting to like you you don't really like you sort of exist in this gray area between two worlds because you've you're born in a society that is predominantly like European like New Zealand society and you don't fit in there visibly but you feel internally that you fit in there because that's the culture that you've internalized into your own like schemas and like how you view the world like your view your world view is very much like that of New Zealander but on the outside for me at least I look Chinese but if I ever went back to China on the outside I don't I look Chinese in New Zealand but I wouldn't look Chinese in China and right. I certainly wouldn't be Chinese on the inside so it's sort of like well, where do I fit in then I just sort of occupy this gray space like in between and I'm in like am an alien in either mm. culture. It's that concept of, like, other, like, you just sort of, yeah. And I think, like, you can view it as a bad thing or you can view it as a privileged thing as well. Like, you bridge the gap between two cultures, but mm. sometimes it is just super difficult. <laughs> yes, yeah, I yeah definitely thought it was a bad thing growing up, but now I'm, like, I'm so happy and privileged yeah. to be part of two cultures. Yeah. And I feel like having two worldviews combined yes. into one and yes. I, I yeah but it's it's a struggle getting to that point yeah. getting to that point where you're yeah. happy with it because the world definitely doesn't make it yeah. easy for you at all so yeah we're gonna take a break okay. we're gonna listen to a song and then we'll get back Ooh. into discussion i really want to hear Groovy. more about the um asian law um association oh yes as okay well. cool um but the song for this episode is called africans by Nika. she is a really really cool um singer songwriter from nigeria and all of her songs um are very topical and this one's about how um yes africa has been screwed over by being colonized for so so many years but at the same time we need to stand up for ourselves yeah. and we need to do better so i hope you enjoy the song thank you
enjoyed the song. She's a really good artist, so you should check her out. So her name's Neka, N-N-E-K-A. I'm pretty sure. Something along those yeah, lines. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would, Rachel, I would love for you to tell me more about the um, Asian Law Students Association and why you decided to set it up, because I think it's so awesome Yeah, that that's a thing now. Cool. Um, yeah, so basically this year, um, a couple of months ago, um, 
I set up the Otago Asian Law Students Association. Um, so I don't know, like it sort of came to me in a dream. Now it came to <laughs> me. <laughs> it came to me because I was watching the witness examination competition, and there was this um, like Malaysian judge Anita Chan QC, and I sort of sat there and like I just felt it. Like I was like, whoa! Like this is the first time I've actually felt like I've seriously like actually identified with like a lawyer. Like she's a QC. So, like a Queen's Council. Oh, okay. So, like, basically, like, just like one of, like, just like you've got like lawyers, and then you've got like, and then like Queen's Councils are like the lawyers. Like, I don't know. It sounds really, really boss, yeah, man. Yeah. It just, I don't, <laughs> like, I just know that it's like a real kick ass thing. So, I was like, whoa, she's a Queen's Council. Like, she's Malaysian. Like, she's female. Like, she's got a real cool dress sense. So, I was like, I want to be her. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was, like, the first time I ever felt, like, I had, like, really, like, identified with or, like, seen someone who was, like, a viable role model for me. Because, um, like, obviously most lawyers have, like, heard of, like, my Chen. Um, and yes, she's, yeah, my dad goes on and on about her. Yeah, he loves her so yeah, much. she's yeah. awesome. <laughs> but, like, like for me, she hadn't been accessible because, like, I've never seen her before. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, it's just simple things like that, mm-hmm. like having role models that are accessible because you can see them in the society that you're a part of, which I'm part of the Dunedin Law Society because I study at Otago. And then I was like, wait, like, why isn't there an Otago Asian Law Students Association? Um, and then, like, that week, month period of time I'd just sort of been like ruminating anyway on like trying to start up like some sort of like group or for people of colour or like Asians in Dunedin but I didn't want it to be exclusively Chinese and I wasn't sure where the boundaries were going to be and who I sort of marketed the group to and then I was like oh Asian Law Students Association and then I saw that Vic had one um, oh, I didn't know that. Actually. Yeah, Victoria have one. They've been around for five years. Um, Auckland has like the sort of cluster of like um, subcontinental like Asian law students, law students association. So like they're not under one umbrella of like Asia as a continent, but they've got like different like Korean ones, like Chinese ones, like that. I suppose the Asian population in Auckland is a lot bigger, yeah, and so it probably they could have like they can have those different groups. Yeah. But. Yeah. And then the Canterbury one was set up this year also. But anyway, so I got in contact with Nathan Tease, who used to be the president of the um, Victoria um, Asian Law Students Association, and chatted to him. And he was like, yeah, I think it's a great idea, like, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, fuck it, like, I'm going to run with it. Like, yeah. let's do it, <laughs> fam. And so, like, this is in, like, the mid-semester break. So I, like, emailed the dean of law school. I was like, hello, like, this is what I want to set up. I think it's really important. I sort of outlined my own personal reasons. Like, I guess the journey of how I'd gotten to the point at which I wanted to set up a student's association within the law school. Um and she's like, yes, like that's a great idea. And then I sent out like through the law faculty, um, like a survey to all Asian identifying law students, sort of being like, hello, <laughs> um, can you answer this survey? Which is like, what year are you? Do you think this is needed? If it existed, would you be a part of it? The response to that survey was like quite like 
it was more than I could have imagined. Like, it wasn't oh, just, like, 20 awesome. or 30 people. I think there was, like, about 70 people who responded. Oh, wow. And overwhelmingly, the response was, like, yes, we need this. Um, I would love this in, Denise, in, like, the law school. Like, I'd love to be a part of it. Um, there were a few people who were like, no, or like, because I put maybe as an answer, mm-hmm. and I like, put that as an option, because I was Ooh. like, well, you might not be <laughs> sure. Um, so like, there were a few maybes and a few no's, but like, it was just mainly to do with like, um, like, I guess, I guess, sort of, I guess the fear of like, differentiating yourself or like, setting yourself aside as like, a distinct group of people mm. within an already established group of people's and sort of marking yourself as like different and being proud of it um so I guess there was that sort of like a little bit of resistance but by and large positive and so yeah had a wee informal meeting to just sort of like touch base with all the people who had responded again like didn't expect many people to turn up to that but there were about like 20 people 20 oh, to wow. 25 that's people that's so nice that people are showing up because then it shows that yeah, it's needed exactly exactly and then um yeah, so that and then that sort of was like right the, the impetus to sort of like I wrote the constitution, um, like held an IGM, like did all the steps to like affiliate with OUSA, and like we're in the process of setting up bank accounts and all of that. So we have an executive now. And we've had our IGM and we've had two events, which has been like quite successful mm-hmm. and it's like it's, it's great like it's positive like I'm glad that people feel the need for this type of society because when you set up something like this every single day and every single event that you hold you're sort of like was this the right thing to do like was like especially within the legal community like was this the right thing to do was it the right thing for me to create this type of society to set Asian lawyers aside as a subset of the le- as a distinct subset of the legal community with different needs from I guess the majority Mm. um and like it goes back to the thing that like for so long Asians have been the model minority and that we haven't had because so I I don't know I spoke about this to someone yesterday but like so Māori are tangata whenua and they were obviously disadvantaged by colonization like that Mm. is beyond like dispute like they were really like just screwed like they really screwed over yeah screwed really over screwed like, over and feeling that fixed yeah, now you can exactly. see it's reflected in all of the stats today. and like um so they of like moldy people obviously have like distinct needs and things which is why it's epic that they have um like their own sort of societies and like Ropu within like the university but Asians have always been perceived as this model minority in that we don't really suffer in health statistics we don't really suffer in terms of like um like academics or like career success or something or like stuff like that because we do like pretty well like Mm. we're just sort of seen as like you know we track along like we do pretty well for ourselves um but there is this like notion of like I guess like the fact that we there is this sort of like pervasive feeling of like alienness in society, and like there is such a thing as like the bamboo ceiling, which is that it's very unlikely for people and like of Asian people to like ever be like promoted beyond like managerial positions into like higher positions mm. because we aren't seen as like same or like in some way we just 
are deficient or like lacking in something. So mm. it's it's so it's been so interesting trying to sort of like define and like delineate what exactly it is Asian lawyers need beyond increased support and visibility because that much is clear. Like where there needs to be more visibility of Asian lawyers within the legal community. And there needs to be an increased support network, but it can't be a disingenuous support network that's just sort of like, hey, here's Chinese Language Week. Hey, here's it was Chinese New Year, so here's um, a Chinese, like we'll just bring in all this Chinese food for like a lunch or something. It can't be like disingenuous like that. Um, and I think part of that disingenuity comes from it being those types of initiatives being instigated by... Um, like European people not coming from the right not place. coming from the right place yeah and so it's sort of identifying like it's uh, it's just sort of defining the contours of the problem as it is and mm. so like it's not like it's not like a blazingly like alarm siren like no no like this mm. is a problem like woo it's sort of just like how do we become more accepted how do we stop feeling like we're different and like Mm. it's really interesting exploring that again like I keep saying this in the legal community because um like on all in all intents and purposes like we are like most people are like intellectual equals like everyone's like pretty good at like doing the law and stuff it's just sort of like subtleties like if you had an Asian lawyer represent you in a court case, would you feel as comfortable with that as you would a Pakeha lawyer, for instance? Mm. And it's just, and then like, if your gut instinct is like, no, then why? Like, is it because you perceive us as lacking in some sort of like social skill or like, mm. and why is it such like a big thing if if Asians are the same, if there is sort of no difference between like an Asian lawyer and a Pakeha lawyer why is it such like a big thing when you do get an Asian person made partner like Mm. why why do we not see that like you know like so there is this sort of like concept of like there is something there and like myself and like all of the other people involved in the Asian law associations in the university are just trying to put a finger on it right now and it's just such a it's a nuanced thing, and mm. I don't think we've quite got there yet, but we are trying to figure out the answers. Mm. Like, And I think that's one of the challenges in setting up the Asian Law Students Association as well, is that, like, yeah, like, I really want to provide an increased support network and provide a space for um, Asians coming through the law school to just sort of, like, be comfortable and see positive role models who have, like, been through the law school and like because laws is pretty like it's a demanding degree like and like so being through the law school and like survived and like obviously you feel heaps more comfortable talking to someone who you sort of like identify with so like who is of the same um like ethnicity as you but then beyond that like what are we here for is sort of the question that I'm sort of faced with now Mm. I think the challenges you've outlined, I think it extends to outside of the yeah, legal yeah. world. It just, it kind of, you know, and manifests in all different types of careers. Yeah. But it, I think it definitely leads down to what, what, as a society, what do we think about Asian people? Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think when people talk about race, they mainly think about, you know, Māori people or, I don't know, refugees because 
we're coming in and apparently taking all of the jobs. But I feel like the stereotypes with Asian people is Asian people have been here for a very long time. And, like, yeah, as you said before, Asian people are generally doing well. So then people assume that there's no problem yeah but there really but there is, is a lot of stereotypes and there's yeah. quite a big problem actually yeah when it comes to how people think about asian people yeah exactly and it's just sort of yeah and i like yeah i think yeah as i like it's important to explore as you said like take it out of a legal setting before you apply it mm. to a legal setting and like and like you also need to be aware that like there are different like there are people who are like new zealand born asian and then there are people who are um, like Asian who have come into New Zealand as people in their late teens, twenties, thirties, and they face different challenges as well, you know. And like, yeah, it's just sort of there are so many different strands and considerations that you sort of need to think about before and like, yeah, identifying the problem and like nailing it down is sort of a thing. And it's always going to morph. It's never going to be a static thing. It's always going to be like as with like any any association or like initiative that's set up to respond to a problem like problems are live like they don't sort of stay static and that's like the approach always needs to adapt to that mm, like yeah we really need to listen to the the core of the problem exactly. and, and respond to that exactly and like i can't like any response to the problem can't come from like applying the same framework again and again and again to like a minority group because not all minority groups are the same you have to apply different frameworks to different minority groups so like I guess an example of this and I'm sort of hesitant to like present my opinion on this is go for it (laughs) it's a safe space here I'm (laughs) scared is that at the end of June middle of June middle of June there's um like a symposium and launch of the New Zealand Asian leaders like lawyers um sort right. of like oh my god my hands are getting sweaty <laughs> like sex and it's sort of like a launch and like the symposiums like got all these like cool speakers and mm-hmm. stuff like of like Asian lawyers so like my chin and like oh, so Arthur. she's she's gonna you're gonna see her. <laughs> yeah, I'm not actually going because I have an exam on that day. But like, oh mm, yes, um, <laughs> university. Am I right? <laughs> um, and then like, uh, so there's predominant Asian firms in Auckland, and so like Arthur Koo, I think his last name is from mm-hmm. Lou and Koo. Um, and like my gut reaction was like, yeah, like heck yeah, like this is great, like increased visibility, increased awareness, like etc. etc. And so I was initially like super enthused about this, and then I thought about it a bit, and then I was like, yeah, cool, but it also does sort of sit uncomfortably with me because and like, why is that? um, well, it seems like it it's token, it does it seems somewhat tokenistic, and I guess like. It seems like the wrong framework to be applying to address the problem is, I guess, sort of what it comes down to. It seems like, um, because a lot of the talks are like, how to be successful in your law career, like, how to, like, like, all of the talks are, like, based around success. And it's like, that's really not what 
Asian lawyers need. Like, I think most Asian lawyers like know how to work hard because it's such like. Well, a, they're in law school anyway. Like they've yeah. managed to set themselves up as creators, and, the, and like they clearly don't have an issue with that. Yeah, and like it's a cultural, like it's a cultural trait. Like it's a stereotypical cultural trait that like Asians work hard. Like we are mm. hard workers. Um, but like, so I think like I think it's just coming at it from the wrong angle. I don't think what we need is like how to be successful one one. I mm. think what um, Asian lawyers like in the profession need is like just sort of like to feel less alien. And I don't know how you'd create that. Um, so yeah, I just yeah, I think with the increased recognition of like other coming through like the news. Zealand law society and like profession there needs to just be a recognition of like other isn't just one group but other is like very different cultural groups within that sort of other umbrella which you need to sort of be aware of and then target the problems accordingly and like Mm. even if there are no problems faced from like because law is a very success-based profession, right? Like, it is, like, you want to win for your client. You want to do – you want to be successful for your client. But even if there's no problems with, like, success in that area, which is, like, the main paradigm from which the law and firms operate, it doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be a space. Like, it still means that a space and, like, recognition of these minorities is valid, even though they might not be facing a problem that's perceived to be a problem within – the law society right i see yeah i see where you're coming from well i think that's why it's really important that you set up the the association because then you guys can be the voice of the students and you guys can be like actually yeah this is what we really struggling with this is what we yeah need help with exactly and i think it is us students who have the time to actually think about like these things and think about what we need because historically there has been sort of like assimilation is best like just put your head down like don't draw attention to yourself that you're different just do what everyone else is doing and so I think it's super important that as we come through in university and we are aware that like we are the same because we all live in New Zealand but we are different because of our cultural background that there is a recognition of that and there is sort of like a space carved out for that Mm. Yeah, just just the acknowledgement that there's there's yeah. you know, we we have struggles because we look different yeah. but we're still all cool New Zealand homes so we should realistically yeah. be treated the Is same. Is that dichotomy but. of sameness and difference, eh? Man, I wish we could keep on talking, yeah, but this is the end of the time, so we I must have you on again so we can keep this discussion <laughs> yes, going we must, on. we must continue. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming today, Rachel. Oh, it no really worries. means a lot. Um, you're awesome and you're doing really awesome work. Oh, you're and, awesome. <laughs> and um, Rachel has a blog, so I will leave that on the Facebook page for you guys to check out. She discusses a whole range of things and she's a very um, articulate lady and she, you always bring up interesting points. Oh, so I'll share you. that on the page. And thank you so much for tuning in to Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, no, Google Podcasts, sorry, Apple Podcasts coming soon. Um, and check us out on Facebook as well. So Headscarves and Good Yarns. Thank you so much for tuning in. Catch you later. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.